Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. Morning. So good to kind of see you with the bright lights. I don't know if I'm entering into heaven or we're starting service from time to time. See a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, We've been talking about the book of James and how he is talking about your faith in motion. Most likely this is the brother of Jesus who has written this book. And what I love about James is he's just practical. And he's only five chapters, but he speaks to so much poverty and wealth, taming your tongue, going through trials. All of these things are just so practical and down to earth. And so we're going to start that in a moment. But before we do, I wanted to pause and just talk with you for a moment to acknowledge September 11th. Um, for, For many people, this was a very, for us as a nation, it was a very personal thing. In fact, for years, there was a firefighter who passed in September 11th, and the family moved and right next to the Bible college. And for years, while the kids were growing up, there were different students who would babysit that family. And, and uh, it was one of those things that has forever been in the mind of, of so many people. Uh, I, personally, my pastor, pa, at that time, Pasco Manzo, his son, Isaac, had an appointment at the Merrill Lynch building and was supposed to be in the building the day that the, the towers collapsed. And that weekend, he had been fasting and praying. It was something that he just never really did. And for some reason, he was just fasting and praying, saying, God, I really want to get direction for my life. And his father is, is very much like, make the most of every opportunity. And he came up to him and he said, Dad, I just feel in my heart I, I, I shouldn't shouldn't go to that job interview. I'm just going to let that one go. And he said, inside of me, I wanted to push back. But I said, you know what? He's fasting and he's praying. God's going to, he's got to learn how to hear from God for himself. He's hearing from God. And thank goodness he did because he would have been in that building. And the greatest loss of any company, if if my memory serves me correct, was Merrill Lynch, the greatest loss of life. There were people that day that we're going to go into work, for instance, a cleaning uh, company, a Korean cleaning company that cleaned a large section of the building, and strangely, every single one of the people in the team caught the vomit virus and couldn't be there. Uh, we believe with all of our hearts that God is at work in all things, and that even some things that happen, he doesn't make that his plan, but he works those things out for good for those that love him. And are called. It's not that he says it's good, but he works it out for good. God didn't plan September 11th and say, this was my will. Evil planned that. And God said, if there's evil that's going to come from this because man has a free will, I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring something good out of it. A friend of mine who is a pilot and a uh, uh, now he's actually retired. He went from working for Delta Airlines to creating his own private business for teaching people how to fly their their smaller engine planes. They took he took both my sons up in an airplane one time and flew them all over 
the Merrimack Valley and the shore years ago, and it was just such a great experience. But he uh, knew the investigator for Flight 93. Maybe uh, just, you might not remember this, or you might be new to this community or to the country, but three planes had taken off, two of them from Boston, and Flight 93 was over Pennsylvania, or flight, it wasn't Flight 93. It was, I think it was, let me, let me dump the facts so I don't mess that up. One of the flights was headed over Pennsylvania and was turning around. By that time, two of, two of the flights had hit the towers. So it was known what was going on, that they had realized that their plane had been hijacked. And the, and the famous quote from Todd Beamer, he called up his wife and he, and he said, I love you, goodbye. And then he said, let's roll. And that plane, rather than hitting into a building, went into the ground in Pennsylvania. So this investigator, my friend knew, went uh, to, it was actually his last day prior to this, September 10th, he had retired. They called him up immediately and they said, we need your help. We know that you just retired, but you're one of the best people at this. We need to understand. He shows up at the, at the crash site and there's really not much there, except like a whole, there were, there were things that were around, but you're looking for a whole plane. And everybody was like, where's the plane? And he's like, it's, it's underneath us. So they begin the investigation, and he was an expert at understanding what happens with impact, how to look for things, what to look for. Two things were found. One, embedded in a tree, like a, hurt, like a tornado had taken it and thrown it, a credit card was stuck into the tree. They took it out, and on that credit card, as they began to run it, they saw the transactions of all of the other flights that had crashed into the tower were purchased by that, and they realized at that point they needed to immediately ground all air traffic, that there were more flights than, could, than they knew about that were out as a threat. In the distance was a shack and as they went in there, they were found in their two hands that were together like this, and a wedding ring that was on it. And the DNA shows the hands of Todd Beamer at that moment, grasping his hands together as if to pray in that last moment, in that last hour. His, well, there's a museum that's there. His wife donated the ring for the purpose of that memorial. But that really changed the world. It's unique that we live in a time where I could talk about something like this, and there are some people, many up, are already upstairs, that didn't grow up around this. At the towers, there was a friend of our family that was there. And some of you have seen the footage, but if you look at the raw footage, people weren't falling one at a time. It was raining human beings all over the place. And there was a fear to run out because if you ran out for fear that somebody would fall on you, and that itself could have taken your life. And one of our family friends was there with someone and he took his hand, the hand of the guy next to him. He said, we're gonna make it, let's go. And as they ran across the open courtyard of the towers, as he was running, as he got to the other side, the man's hand was jerked from his hand, he lost his life and the friend of our family lived through that. The most amazing story of all of this is overshadowed by six people. 
Maybe you've seen some of the movies or heard the stories out of the entire tragedy that took place. Hospital beds were set up for thousands. No one would ever go there. Only seven people were pulled from the towers. Six of them were, I believe, all firefighters. They knew enough to get to the, the strongest part of the building, which is the elevator. Whenever you build a skyscraper, you build the elevator shaft, and the rest of the building goes around it. It's the strongest part of the structure. And so they ran in there, but there was one other person in the stairwell near the elevator. Her name was uh, Giselle McMillan Guzman. And she was attending the Brooklyn Tabernacle at that time. But she was trying to get her life right, had not lined it up right with Jesus. And as she was sitting in that service, a strange thing happened. Pastor Simbola, as he was preaching the message, he said, I'm, I feel like there's somebody here that needs to get their life right with Jesus. And he kept delaying it. He says, there's just somebody here. I know it. And if you've ever waited in a church moment, you know, sometimes 30 seconds of silence can be, you know, torturous. But this went for 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And that 20 minutes, Giselle sat there and said, God, I, I need to get my life right, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I got, you know, I mean, you rationalize all of that. And she just resisted, resisted, finally passed her left. And that Tuesday, she went into the building. As the building came down, she was pinned in the rubble. And she began to pray. And she said, God, if you would just get me out of here, I promise you, I'll give you the rest of my life. She had a child. Sent my, I, I don't want my child to grow up alone. God, please. She's begging Jesus. Now, I don't even want to begin to think what it was like when those towers fell. I've been around buildings that have exploded. I've been around things that have uh, uh, collapsed. But those towers, our youth group was supposed to go on a trip that Saturday, September 17th, 16th, 17th. And obviously I said, you know, we can't go there. So we weren't going to be there then, but we were headed to experience the towers and, and we would never go there. But I can't imagine what that crash was like. Television just doesn't capture it. My cousin was in Midtown Manhattan. Pastor Tony, who is going to be with us at the married uh, gathering, married for life. And by the way, uh, wives, you have permission to harass your husbands to get there. Yes, he is part of the problem, and we are going to solve it. But you got to get him to church. Now, it, it, it's just a great thing, be with us. But to, the Palos were there on the Brooklyn Bridge looking, which gives you a sight right to where Battery Park, where the towers came down. And inside that rubble was Giselia saying, Oh, God, please. And in a moment, while she was there, she all of a sudden heard rubble and she heard and she felt somebody grab her hand. And as soon as he grabbed her hand, she said it was like hope and peace washed over her. And as she did that, she, he said to her, he said, you're going to be all right. You're going to hear some stuff moving and you're going to get out of here. I just want you to be at peace. You're going to hear some things moving around. She asked the guy his name. He said something like, I think I want to say it was like Peter, something like that. And then he let go of her. 
as she sat there still in as much peace as you could have, but it was abnormal peace. They removed all of the rubble off of her and finally got to her. And then when they found her, she got up and she's like, where's Peter? Where's Peter? I want to thank him. She said, Peter, what are you talking about? They said, she said, the man that grabbed my hand about 20 minutes ago that said it was going to be okay. And he looked at her and they said, lady, you are surrounded by rubble with no more than an inch in any direction. It is impossible that anybody would have reached out to you. Now, I share this story not because it's an urban legend. I share it because I've met Giselia. I share it because I know Pastor Simbola. And I've also had her come at different time, at one particular time when I was at another church and share that story. And I've never heard that on CNN, MSNBC. But if you Google her name, Brooklyn Tabernacle, the seventh survivor, she's got a book uh, that has the word angel in it. Those are the stories of September 11th that we never hear. And I'm so grateful that those aren't urban legends to me. These are direct people who I know, who I've met, who I've talked with face to face. That changed the world for us. When, when September 11th happened, it was the first time that terrorism on that kind of level struck us in ways that Northern Ireland and uh, North Africa and the rest of the world were already dealing with. And our world has never been the same since. I could ask some of you, where were you when Kennedy was shot? You could, you could remember that. I asked my mom the other day, and she told me, oh, I remember exactly. And I can't tell you where that was, but I could tell you where I was on September 11th. And I can tell you what that has done and how it has changed the course of our nation, and it's changed the course of the world. And I'm so grateful that we serve a God who works everything together for good. He, he is not the God that plans hard experiences like that. He is the God who has given man free will, and one day every man will stand before God and be judged according to what they've done. But the byproduct of what resulted from that, it spun the entire world into so many different directions. And I want to encourage you to do something that the Jewish people did. The Jewish people, every time God did a miracle, would pile up stones. And they said, why do we pile these stones up? And they said, because when your children's children ask, what are these stones here for? You will be able to say, this is where the Lord held back the Jordan River and did a miracle. This is where Pharaoh was going to destroy us and the Lord did a miracle. See, stones are done and used by the Jewish people because they never disappear long after people are gone. If you go to a Jewish cemetery, if you've ever seen this, the tomb of Oscar Schindler, on top of his tomb are stones of the survivors of the Holocaust because of him, and they've laid rocks on top of his tomb. And that generation and Oscar Schindler are long gone, but the stones still remain. And uh, I think that there's a story in September 11th that we need to continue to tell in reminding a generation that behind the scenes, God can be at work in the midst of a disaster. 
Our kids need to know that no matter what happens and no matter what we face as a people or as a nation or as a world, that God will set the world right in one day. How many of you are grateful that there's coming a day where there will be no more war? There will be no more wickedness. There will be no more evil. And not only Satan, but death itself will be thrown into the lake of fire. And we will be with him forever and ever and ever. And I'm so grateful that I have not put my faith in a fairy tale. And I just, how many of you, that was the first time you heard of the woman that was in the tower, Giselia? It, it's just insane to me that that story is not told or how she wasn't included in the movie when the firefighters were there. And, but it's a fact. Do your homework. Giselia Guzman McMillan, that was her name. Or, and uh, anyway, I wanted to share that rather than have moments of silence where we reflect. I wanted to have moments of passing the reason the stones of remembrance need to be here for what took place. Uh, the, 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 the Arab people are beautiful, hospitable people. Just because somebody is from the Middle East does not mean that they are evil or a terrorist or your enemy. In fact, we just had a massive amount of Afghanis settle in our area because there was already a large Afghanist, uh, Afghani population who have left everything that have, and the government did very little to help transition them and the community was there. There are some ministries that we support that have been trying to help with them. We even opened up our church and said, do you need the church building? We, you can put them in here. It wasn't, it wasn't what they needed, but um, I'm so grateful that we're a part of a, of a church that understands that Jesus loves everyone, whether they know him or love him or not. And it is only on the lips of Jesus where you hear the words, love your Lord, love your family. Lots of people said that. Only Jesus said, love your enemies. And as Jesus was on the cross, the words that came out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They know not what they do. And you know what? You may not have to face terrorism. You may not have to face war. You may not have to face those kind of things. But what you will face are family members and friends who will betray you because betrayal only happens to people that are close. You will face acquaintances, friends, frenemies, and enemies who will do you wrong. And you have a choice in your life to hold on to that bitterness like a knife. It's like a five-year-old child with a knife. Give me the knife. No, mine. Come on, give me the knife. No, mine. And your heavenly father's perplexed because if he doesn't do anything, you're going to fall and hurt yourself. And if he pulls it out of your hand, you may lose use of the hand for the rest of your life. And he wants you to just give him the knife. Imagine Holocaust survivors forgiving Nazis. Families of September 11th forgiving the people responsible for it. Imagine you, if you forgave the people who've done evil to you. And that's what we're going to do right now. I sense we have a moment from the Holy Spirit.
just very quietly. I'd just love for you to just close your eyes, bow your hearts. You can nurse a grudge like an RN your entire life, and it'll never heal. But some of us in this room, our lives have been stuck because you have refused to move on from the bitterness and the lack of justice. I think God would want you to know this. He has set aside a day where he will judge the earth in righteousness. What man did through millennium, God's going to set right in one day. Nothing goes unpunished. All things can go under his grace. But some of you in this room, you're ruining your lives because of bitterness and unforgiveness, and it's time to set it down. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, we have a lot of things in this room that just couldn't be put to words. Some of us have cut off people, and we don't even remember why. And it's the grudge, it's the feeling that's holding that space. But Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, we put down the knife, and we just say the words. Give us the strength to do the actions, but we say the words, Father, forgive them. If they really knew who we were, if they really understood what they did, if they really were able to reach into the best of who they were, they wouldn't do these things, but because they can't, because they don't, even because they won't, we say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know the amazing thing of forgiveness is? When you finally put the key in the door to let that person out who you held captive, you realize that you were the one that was caged up the whole time. Think about driving down the street and somebody cuts you off in traffic and that person comes to your mind. Somebody hurts you and it's like, oh, no, I can't believe they did that. I remember when so-and-so did this. That's bitterness. That's unforgiveness. So anyway, all right. I've got a thoroughly entertaining message for you. I've been, I don't know how this got to this place other than the Holy Spirit, but um, I want to thank all of you for your service. Alex, thank you. So many more of you in here who have served. And uh, um, I wish that our nation would institute a mandatory service between the ages of 18 and 19 like Israel so that they really know what they want to do for their major at 20 in college. And, uh, but what do I know? Some of you are like, you're out of your mind. All right. You ready? Let's talk about the tongue with that. Ooh. All right. So I'm looking for the magic button. Um, I'm a little bit numb today. Uh, we said goodbye to a very dear friend of mine, one of my longer lifelong friends, very deep deep friends, but um, uh, yeah, please keep me in prayer. As it, I'm not dry, I, I don't grieve with tears. Sometimes it just builds up, and I grieve in tears about six things at once, but right now, this, is, this one's on the shelf, but I felt the weight of it, and I realized that. I slept 12 hours the other day, just knowing, like, I'm missing my friend. I'm sad about that loss, but um, I'm going to be good. So thank you for your prayers. Let's talk about taming the tongue, huh? 
<laughs> you may not pray for me after we're done with this one. Look at this one, James chapter 3. Lord, touch your word in a special way for us here this morning. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Think about this for a second. First of all, James, before he even talks about the tongue, he talks about teaching. Uh, I remember um, Ron Visaki, one of our elders, for, uh, former elders who is at a church now with his son and is, and is closer with them, he used to talk about people that wanted power in the church. And he said, how stupid is that to look and grab for power and prestige in the church, a place that demands for you to be humble. I mean, think of the irony of that. And, and so James goes out of his way and he says, listen, don't be so quick to say, I should be doing that. I need to be. It's a, you see this a lot in younger people developing into ministry, and it's just growing pains, right? But it's like, no, I have a lot to offer. I'm special. You know what? If I was doing it, it would be totally different. And so you see this, these, the, you, you, can, you can feel it sometimes. You're up doing your thing, and someone's taking your temperature, and another person's taking your measurements, and James says, hey, 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 you want to rush into that? You, don't, you What are you, foolish? You don't understand, you're going to be held by a stricter judgment. So when I, I, I think of Isaiah, where Isaiah says, Lord, when I think of your word, I tremble. I, I have, a, I have a, a, a humorous, casual, cavalier kind of way about me, but I understand that I will be judged by the things that I taught, the things that I said, the moments that I didn't say what I needed to because I wanted to be a friend instead of a pastor. Those things are all part of the judgment process. And, it's, and he, James even goes out of his way and he says, we all stumble in many ways. And he's talking about our speech and our eloquence and and our handling of God's word. So there is never going to be a perfect sermon that comes up off of this platform, except maybe from Pastor Dylan. Maybe. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. But, but there's never, and, and I'll tell you what, it doesn't, it, there's an incredible, awesome responsibility that's here, but no matter how good you are, no matter, we all have our favorite speakers, and uh, we all have our favorite teachers or podcasters, but at the end of the day, no matter who you are, you all stumble in different ways, but then he goes out of his way to dial it in a little bit and says, but, he says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. A bridle, this isn't a, a, a different word for a bride, but a bridle is the part that goes around a horse and you ride it. The kids are gone, so I was going to pick on them, but I won't do this to the dignity of you adults. Maybe I will to Derek. Should I ask Derek to come help? Yeah, let's do it. Derek, come on up. All right, come on up. Come running up, right up. You got Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. So, so this is a, a totally sanitized, never used ever before bridal. Lindsay, where are you? Come on up here, Lindsay. Run right up to the front. You have permission to run in church? 
All right. This makes sense with a married couple. So you're like, what are you going to do? You can figure it out. Okay, I need you. It, yeah, you can. You can. You can. You can. All right. So if you if you would kindly take the horse posture. Oh dear. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. No, no, no. I mean, like, level out. Level out. We need. We, you, okay. And uh, if you would just kindly hold that in your mouth. Okay. All right. Lindsay, make your man obey you. Take him for a walk, would you? <laughs> All right. Here you go, Lens. All right. So James is, James, he's really scared because he knows I carry things too far. So, but, so, so thank you so much. I'm not going to let you go, but, but just for illustration purposes, hanging. You like, I just want to use the restroom. I didn't know what was, you walked back into this. Isn't it crazy? Never a dull moment in this church. So think about this. James is saying we all stumble in, in, in different kinds of ways. Anyone who is able to bridle themselves, you know, get hold of your speech, get hold of your tongue. If you're a perfect person, you're able to bridle your whole body, everything about you. Your hands are holy. Your feet are holy. You, you're on course and you're doing it. And so as a horse is riding along, I'm not going to have you do this for, I, I, I know, I'm not trying to reduce your <laughs> dignity. I just grabbed somebody that would forgive me. <laughs> you're forgiven. Thank you. Okay. Well, in that case, here, go back down again. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that's, if you've ever ridden horses, thank you guys. Can we just thank them? <laughs> Sorry, I just. <laughs> that was wonderful. I love church. So, um, so because anybody's able to do it, you bridle your whole body. A bridle is really not the the piece that goes in the horse's mouth as much as the part that goes over its head, and and the reins and all of that. That you're able to more or less. You could, you could, if it was a good, nice trained horse, you could you and disciplined. You could bridle the horse without bidding the horse because it's already under control. But you try and do that to a Mustang and for, they call it green broke. You are going to you are going to get hurt in a major way. And James is trying to say, all right, well, you want to do that. Well, he continues and he says in verse three, if we if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So he's saying, listen, you know. Some things are pretty wild about us. And in our case as human beings, it's, it's our mouth. We've, we've, if there's, my pinky has not done much harm. In the, it has not. But my mouth, your mouth, our mouth, holy cow. We have, we have done, it, 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 and, and it's, it's not only that it's done harm, it's just sometimes undisciplined, reckless. And, and James is saying, man, if we've got to put a bit in a horse, and we can make that horse do what we want, but it's going to take some tools. It's going to take not only bridling the horse, but also bidding the horse so that that horse will get a comfortable tug with an uncomfortable feeling to turn and he knows as or she that horse he knows she knows when it pulls you that you need to yield and if you don't yield to that it causes discomfort 
And so they begin to, to get the horse broken in in such a way that they're able to control it with the bit and the bridle. He says this, though. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members and staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of our life and set on fire by hell itself. Those are some harsh words. I was going to actually demonstrate for you a new skill that I learned. I'm not joking. But I realized if I did this, I probably would need to get the board's consent to this and probably the fire departments and probably the insurance company. So I chose not to do it. But... Fire breathing. It, you can do it with cornstarch, by the way. You want to try a safe and you just, when you pull the fire out and paraffin oil is, I better not do this. Like the teens aren't in here. Good. All right. Don't try this at home. But he's saying it sets the whole course of our life on fire. And not only does he just say it's fire, he says it's set on fire by hell itself. Imagine the incredible dreams and the goodness that resides within you, but the insensitivity, the coarse, crass, careless, reckless, insensitive, sowing insecurity in people intentionally, hurting people intentionally, the evil that we do. But not only that, we do it on purpose. Who took away my fire thing? It, and it's just like that. What happened? Is it gone? Oh, uh, I got another one here. Don't worry about it. Hey, God bless you. The fires that are over right now in California and the entire West Coast is on fire. It's just, you could see it from outer space. It's crazy. Absolutely insane. And what James is trying to say to us is you got to learn to tame your tongue. He had five chapters, one letter, and this moment to speak to the church. His letter is literally a, it's almost as if like a leader wants to get out there and talk about some important practical things. He says, today we're not going to talk about doctrine. Today we're not going to talk about, you know, this, the, this, that, or the other thing. I just want to give you five of the more important practical lessons for your life. And ironically, he starts off with the one that we did with trials. But then he goes and he says, watch your tongue. This is the quietest it's ever been in here. <laughs> You're going through your list, aren't you? Listen, every kind of beast and bird and reptile of the sea and creature can be tamed and it has been tamed. Do you ever see uh, the lion tamers? And uh, we used to go to the circus, and my friend and I, we picked up the language. I don't know what they were, but they were just going, zup, 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 zup. Front row. <laughs> and so we, every once in a while, we would just be going through the day, and he'd turn to me, and he'd say, <laughs> he'd say to me, he goes, zup, 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 zup. But you can do that. You see those guys with, like, what are you doing with a chair? 
right? They have a chair and a whip. To me, that's an ingredient for making a very deadly creature angry. And somehow they're just like, and yet every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed. He's saying, you can do it. You may not want to do it. You may not want to try and tame a bear. You may not want to try and tame a tiger, but you could do it. I'd like to see somebody tame a shark, Um, but he says it can be done. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil full of deadly poison. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible. Every creature in the world, you could take classes, 101 Ways, YouTube channel, How to Tame a Tiger. Start with a cat, how to tame a cat. You know, you could go through that whole thing, you could do it, but the place where you are gonna struggle for the rest of your life is with your, that thing under your nose and below your eyes and above your chin that has had a mask over it for way too long. It is your tongue. <laughs> so preach against that mask. I'm just talking like, holy cow, the things that I have said, the cruelty that you and I are capable of. I was just thinking through, like, you know, some of the things we do, like, you know, I hate you is bearable. But somebody that, you ever, you ever throw, a, throw a flaw out there? Like, oh, man, I just, I just, I really just did a bad job at that. And then somebody just says something like, you should consider something else to do with your life. Other than that, you know what you just did? You set a fire. You set a fire of insecurity. Um, Every single one of us in this room is guilty at some point of not only accidentally, but intentionally, carelessly, inconsiderately setting an arson fire in somebody's life and just walking away from it. And think about that. Like, the fires that have been set when people were sleeping in the house, you were, that, those people were asleep and you just, that arsonist who intentionally lights that fire just walks away and an entire building and an entire group of people are just wiped out from that one thing. It is so hard for me to keep my tongue in check. I have the curse of wit, and I've come to realize this, just because you can say it like it is does not mean that you should, because Jesus will probably replay that for you on the day of judgment. Jesus said this, every idle word, you'll be judged for every idle word word that has come out of your mouth. I just want to apologize in advance on Judgment Day for holding up the line. (laughs) Does spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. He's kind of playing with his words here. He doesn't He doesn't end with the point. 
He's kind of just using metaphors and let them hang out there to say, listen, it just don't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. So, um, why am I always looking to the left at Derek for a victim? <laughs> I won't. I, I, somebody who's not afraid to taste salt water, would somebody, I need a volunteer, a victim. I'll just do it. Derek's raising his hand again? Come on up, Derek. All right, you're going to be the victim of the day? All right. You know, all right, so this is, these are fresh out of the, yeah, come on, jump right up. He's like a cat. All right, fresh water, 100% fresh water. You can, yeah, yeah. You can, Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead. Boom. Nice, fresh. Good. Crystal Glacier. Ooh. Now this one has been saltified. Okay, so you got the other one in your hand. Yeah, yeah. Just take a blast. Okay, swish it around a little bit. It's actually dead sea water. It's half mixed with, re with, with regular water, because if I used them in straight dead sea water, you'd be throwing up right yeah. now. So it's salty, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, go ahead. You can wash it with fresh water. No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, take a sip. Right. Take, it, take another sip of this. Do I have to? Okay. Well, I mean, I'm just requesting it. You don't have to, but... Is it salty? Mm -hmm. Okay, no, no, no. Wash that, wash that down. You want to wash it down. Okay. All right. It's getting worse. Is it getting worse? <laughs> getting worse. Try it one more time. <laughs> No, you don't have to. You did. <laughs> I was faking it. I won't do that. I'm keep taking this one with me. If I, yeah, you can. Wait, don't go anywhere though. Oh. If I, if I offered this to you, would you continue to drink this? Definitely not. No, that was bad. no. It's it is what it is, right? You can you can jump off, jump off like a cat. <laughs> no matter what. No matter how many times I offer it to him, it's always going to be salty. And this is what James is saying about our mouth when we leave it unchecked. And he says, listen, fresh water doesn't come out of a salt water, in this case, salt water bottle, right? And it's amazing to me how many times in my life I'm just like, I can be able to praise God with all of my heart and sincerely do it. And then the next minute I'm tearing somebody or lighting somebody on fire with my mouth. You know what? I've, I just want to give you some practical tips here, practical tips. And uh, we'll be wrapping this up in a minute, but practical tip number one, don't talk about somebody if they're not there. Now, here's the other side of it. In ministry, I've come to find that if, in order to help people, you do have to talk about people, but don't talk about people unless you're trying to help people. And if you're not directly involved in a situation, don't use your tongue to spread the fire. And, and here's the other thing, too. Some of us... Like, if I say to you, worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
Some of you have incredible minds, but your heart, you're not a feel-oriented person. But there are some people out there, they are God's gift of velvet to the world that when somebody is hurting or somebody is sad, my friend Chuck, who just passed away, his little daughter Dorothy, she used to always, like, she, she did, she, I was close enough to the family that the kids trusted me. But one thing she would just do with her father, but that she did with me once in a while, is that when she jumped up and you would hold her, she would grab your earlobe and just start to rub it. And she would look into your eyes, and she would just look at you until you smiled, and then she would just smile back at you, and she would do that until you stopped like velvet, love. But some of us are so goal-oriented and planned-oriented, we don't understand that we are a ball of fire from hell, scorching and destroying so much good that God has put into the world. Stop doing it. Like, just because you can't feel it doesn't mean that others don't. And so the practical tips for me have been like, if I'm not involved in a situation or it's not like something under my leadership or dominion or it's impacting my life, I kind of try to limit what I'm talking about. If somebody's not there and it's not necessary for me to talk about them, then why bother talking about it? But then also to be careful because I am, believe it or not, I'm one of those people that my heart's medium-sized. And I've, other parts of me, like my physical strength, when I worship God with all my strength, <laughs> that's huge. But it doesn't mean that I don't have a burden to lift that's a little bit heavier than I am. And so how do you work that in your life? Well, start small. If I gave you a 200-pound dumbbell and said, curl it, you, you can't do anything with that. I was talking to a uh, a friend yesterday, Miles, who, who talked about that thing. He's like, hey, I can lift weight and I can curl it, but if somebody puts a 200-pound weight in my arm, I can't do that. It's, it, 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 you, you've got to build up to it. So you have to be intentional. Bring, bring the weight of it down and just start the day. Instead of saying nothing, start with a kind word, a compliment, and, and build that muscle and do that kind of thing. Know that that there's a value to those people who are sweet and sensitive, and, and we just don't want to trample over that. And know that our tongue is just, it can do a lot of damage. And so as we close here, I would like to just introduce you to my last prime rib's tongue. And this is, uh, I'm going to, sorry for those of you that are watching online, I'm doing all kinds of wonderful things. Come on, have you ever had a cow tongue burrito? Me neither. Well, you got to go to Taco Lapita. By the way, today's event is sponsored by Taco Lapita in four locations throughout the greater Merrimack Valley. Normally, if I'm with youth, I'll pay somebody five bucks to, to lick it, and they'll do it, and everyone will be grossed out. But, but you can feel the tip of this thing. It's just scratchy. Go ahead. I dare you. Just, just with your finger. Just with your finger. Come on. No? Okay, I won't push that on you. Somebody, is there a brave man, brave woman out there that would, that Bob, Roberto, sorry, online group, just feel the coarseness of that. Are you serious? 
Holy cow, he's Pentecostal. <laughs> the tongue. It is set on fire by hell itself. I won't do that. Not quite Derek, but... It's set on fire by hell itself. A whole world of evil. Remember that band, Kiss? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't talk about them in church, right? That's burrito meat right there. Isn't it crazy how grossed out we are by this and how unmoved we are by the fires we set with it from our own body. It is the most powerful muscle in your entire body. And it just blows my mind how careless I've been. Can I just say something here? Those of you watching online, those of you listening in person, those of you that might watch this years down the road from here, Pass this to Bob, would you? <laughs> so, if I've ever said anything to hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Now, understand that I'm a pastor and I'm somebody with responsibility, and hurting people with your tongue doesn't mean that you don't say hard things or strong things. In fact, love is not like, I just, I just you know, it's all okay. Do whatever you want with your life or whatever. True, true, lo true love and is, is, is tough. And it's able to say, you know what your problem is? Or saying, excuse me, what you're doing is wrong. Or what you're doing is sin. That's not the kind of thing I would ever apologize to anyone for because that is the call of ministry. Imagine if the book of Jeremiah was written with an apology after every hard delivery he gave. It'd be, the, it'd be like a, a, an Encyclopedia Britannica. There are things that God says that are hard. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the things that are arson-oriented for hurting others. You are capable of so much more. But if I've ever said anything to hurt you and you just hold that grudge, just would you just know that you could nurse it forever and it's not gonna, it's not ever gonna heal? Now, what what the problem with the sins of the tongue and with the need for forgiveness is this: is that what some people are looking for is justice with interest. Imagine if you said something to me and hurt me, and I, I, you, you, I got hurt, and so I started to say, he needs to apologize for that. That was just wrong. That's just not right. And then as I began to hold on to that, I began, say that's a $10 offense. I began to hold on to that, and then I started adding interest to it in my heart. Now it's a $20 offense, a $30 offense. So when the time comes that God begins to work in my life and I come up to you and I'm like, hey, I'm looking back. I'm not perfect. James said that, uh, that we all stumble in many ways. I'm just looking back and uh, I'm not 
one to put stock in a perfect person. I, I, I am one to put it in a humble person that's able to go back and just make restitution. I just, I just want to say, hey, I'm really, really sorry. And that person pays you the $10 payment, but you've already increased it to a $30 offense. And they walk away from you indebted because of the interest of bitterness. Do you track that? And then when you finally do what we did before service, and now it makes sense, when you put the key in the door and you put the knife down to release that person, you realize you were the one that was in prison all that time. Because you were a loan shark with the grace of God. And you charged exorbitant interest for people to reconcile. It, you could, my wife would attest to this. I am a determined, all-in, full, committed, strong-hearted individual that knows what I want to do and does it. And if I can picture it, I can pull it off and... And sometimes I, like James says, we all stumble in many ways or whatever, but I'm one of those kind of persons where if somebody has offended me or hurt me or wronged me or whatever, that if that person comes to me and says like, hey, I'm really sorry for that, I'm like, it's okay. Don't sweat it. Put my arm, let's pick up and go around. I, I just, I'm able, I'm changeable, I'm shapeable. You might have this impression of me that I'm this dog-headed, choleric individual that just is thick-headed and stubborn, and it's, it's not in my bones in that kind of way. I don't think I'm describing it. But I do know this. Sometimes I can be stubborn. Sometimes I can be hurtful. Now, I just did this in front of you, and in the words of Jesus, let me say it to you like this. I've set you an example you might walk in my steps. Some of you have phone calls to make. Some apologies and some releasing of hurt from things that people have said will be more of a problem if you try to go up to that person and talk through with them and tell them, have you ever seen somebody who uses an apology as an opportunity of vengeance? Hey, I just want you to know something. You said something that really hurt me, but I want you to know that I forgive you. You're not looking for an apology. You're looking for justice. And you're never going to get it. When it comes to the sins of the tongue, you look for justice. You're never going to get it. What you have to do is be like Jesus and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And you just move your life forward. And then strangely, when they re-engage you and they're looking for that typical response of resistance or silence or aggression. Instead, what they receive is the grace of God. Because you've moved on in your life. And some of you have been stuck because you've been looking for justice and not moving forward in forgiveness. That makes sense. Where's that worship team? Uh, somebody go upstairs and pull that young lady out of, out of Youth Connect. She doesn't need to hear the last part of romantic relationships. If you ever date that girl and break her heart, I will break your legs. 
That's all that needs to be said. I just, I'd love for us to just take what we were singing before there about Jehovah Jireh. And remember what we said a, a couple weeks ago about this Jireh, more than enough. It says that Abraham didn't name God Jehovah Jireh. He named that place. And that place was the place of sacrifice. Do you know that Christianity, if you remove sacrifice from Christianity, it means nothing. It's worthless. It's ineffective. It's hollow. And sacrifice is not sacrifice unless it's sacrificial. And what God is looking for is for us to offer up in sacrifice our devotion, our heart, our mind, our strength. Some of us, we need to recommit. And, and, and this is the problem that James said, is, is that your problem is going to be that you think that you can tame your tongue, but you can't. You think that you can bridle yourself, but you won't be able to but God can. You might not be able to have enough apologies in you to be able to go back and say sorry to people that are even gone, but you can do it vertically to Jesus and say, Lord, I can't change what happened from here back, but from this moment forward, my intentionality is going to be that I, it is my desire that I build people up instead of burn them up. And you're the provider. You're more than enough. You can do it. And as we sing this song, if you, if you want to sit down and you're thinking of a, of a difficult apology, maybe you have just come to realize this morning that you're not a godly Christian person. You're actually a loan shark of bitterness because there are so many people who have tried to pay the debt with you and they can't even square up with you because you've added to the cost of it instead of being like Jesus and saying freely you have received freely give you've been forgiven much love much and you're saying I don't know how to do this maybe you'll want to sit down or kneel down or face your chair maybe you want to come up front and and as the song's playing begin to just lift your hands and just say oh God I, I don't know what to do maybe the hurt for you is is that there was somebody who had resource and ability to help you and they intentionally made the choice not to. And you're going to say, Lord, I can't go back and do that, but I'm, ju I'm just going to release that person. I'm going to release that situation. I don't know what your need is here, but I know the example that Jesus set with his tongue. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. God is more than enough to help you to cross the lines you need to that draw you closer to him. Amen? Let's stand, let's praise, let's sit, let's kneel, let's come forward. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.